Good to see you this morning. Glad that you have joined us for worship. Thankful for our online crowd being able to join us as well. And then, of course, our modern service up in the venue this morning. We're going to be in the book of James, uh, chapter 1, where you have been reading this week. If you're reading along with us in our uh, New Testament reading, James chapter 1. Let me mention, as you're turning there, that the message for today was pre-selected. has nothing to do with any turmoil that you may be in or we may be in this week. It was already picked already being studied, um, but, but I do want to make a couple of comments before we jump in, and that is very simply this. God allowed his people to have a human king because that is what they wanted. His preference would be that they not look to a man, but that they look uh, to him and keep their eyes on him. And you know from Israel's history that the human king thing didn't work out too well. So just remind us that God's intent is that we would keep our eyes on him, that we would look to him, not a man, but keep our eyes on the Lord. And I would say to you, we need to replace our worry with worship. We need to replace uh, wringing our hands with, with raising our hands and acknowledging the gratefulness of what God has done for us and is doing. All right, the book of James is a, uh, a study filled with practical truths for the believer. In fact, one, uh, one speaker has called the book of James Christianity in overalls. And in the first half of chapter one that we're looking at this morning, you see that he deals with the subject we all relate to, and that is the subject of trials. So let's read this morning and then dive in in James chapter one, verses one through 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion or the scattering greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that man must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord he is a double-minded man unstable in all his ways let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation the rich in his humiliation because like the flower of the grass he will pass away for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so too will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And then verse 12, blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now we studied James, in fact, four years ago, we went uh, through the entire book of James. And I want to remind you something very important in that very first verse. It really doesn't appear to have anything to do with trials, but it's important to understanding the whole book, and that is this. James was one of the brothers of Christ. James was an apostle. James was the chief elder. James was the, the head of the church in Jerusalem. But you notice he doesn't use any of those terms to introduce himself. This is what he says, the most humble term he could have used, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me clarify, and, and you may remember this from our previous study, there's a difference in servant and slave, and more literally, even though we see it as the same more literally here, the Greek word would not translate servant but slave. Why is that important? Because a slave, unlike a servant, is wholly owned by his or her master. The slave, unlike a servant, has no rights, and, and his or her entire livelihood and purpose is determined by the master. 
Well, what does that have to do with trials? How does that flavor this passage on trials? You notice James is talking to believers. He says the word brothers. So it's a reminder, first of all, that as believers, we're not going to be free from trials and troubles. No one is free from trials and troubles, but for believers, we want to see that God is going to use these trials in our lives for his purposes, and we need to be reminded that we're slaves. We belong to him. You remember that Jeremiah told the Israelites that they were like clay in the hands of a potter. He said, go down to the potter's house. You'll see that the potter, as he's molding and forming that lump of clay, may suddenly decide to reshape it. He may flatten it. He may crush it. He may make it into something else. That's the right of the potter. And I think it's important for us to remember when we come to times of trial that we belong to the Lord. And if we're not surrendered and willing for him to work in us and through us, when trials come, we could definitely become embittered during those trials. And so James says in verse 2, we're going to have trials of various kinds. What does that mean? Well, there may be external trials, maybe relationship trials, financial trials, physical trials, uh, even persecution and conflict. There may be internal trials. It may be disappointment. It may be a lack of uh, Uh, unfulfilled expectations, it may be frustrations and fears and anxieties. Many kinds. The trials may be due to our own sin. Maybe that trial is distant from the Lord because of a sin in our life. Maybe it's just a trial that comes upon us because we live in a sinful and fallen world. And remember that discipline is both good and bad. God can discipline us as sons whom he loves in order to get us back on track and back on course, but discipline can always be from a positive side that God puts us under some pressure, some, some weight, some discipline in order to grow us. But James is saying the trials are going to vary in type and intensity. What we need to see this morning is that they always serve a purpose. So James telling the brothers, telling us that trials are going to come, he speaks first to our attitude regarding trials, and you see what he says, count it all joy. Now, as he challenges us to have joy in the midst of trials, clearly the ability to do that has nothing to do with the circumstances, but it has to do with our focus and our thoughts in those trials. In fact, the word count means to consider. It it means to process in your thinking, to think through what is happening, to think through how it affects you, and, and to look ahead and even think, where is this trial going to lead? It's the idea that he's giving here of forward thinking, looking ahead, instead of focusing just on the difficulty of the moment when you're in pain and there is no joy in that moment, look ahead to the benefit of the trial. You know, a great example of that that most of you in this room can relate to is the trial of going through the death of a loved one. Now, when you go through the death of a loved one, even if they know the Lord and you know the Lord and you know what's to come, it's hard not to be in pain. It's it's not that there is no suffering. That loss is painful. In fact, Paul to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 4 told them not that they would not have grief, but he said they would not have grief apart from hope if they knew the Lord. So in the midst of the death of a loved one, when you find yourself overwhelmed by the sadness, if you think forward, you think about where that loved one is. You think about the incredible joy that loved one is experiencing, and you're also reminded as one who knows the Lord that you will one day experience that same joy. It doesn't mean there's not pain and sorrow in that suffering, but you think about what that suffering has produced for them and will produce for you. When you think forward, do you remember the words of Paul when he said, these momentary light afflictions produce an eternal weight of glory? 
When we're in trials and we think forward, it reminds us that we're not to get attached to this earth. We're not to get attached to the temporal because we're not made for here. We're not made for now. We think forward and we remember what this trial is going to produce and the joy that will come from that trial. Momentary light afflictions. Can I tell you this morning, if you, if you live to be 70, 80, or even 90 years of age and you suffer, you go through trials every day of your life, if you're a child of God and you're faithful to him, the moment you step across the threshold of time and into eternity, you won't remember one of those trials. You'll be overcome with joy and wonder and amazement. It won't matter at that point. Well, whatever the trial and suffering, if we understand how God is working and we keep an eternal perspective, we're able to choose joy. We understand he has a purpose in our trials. We understand that he is producing righteousness in us. We understand that he's burning away uh, the selfish ambition and, and the pride, and he's refining us and, and using trials in order to use us. You know, the other thing about trials is they remind us where our heart is. If you have a trial and part of that trial is going through the loss of earthly things, of temporal material things, it helps you see whether your affection is on the things of the world or whether you're heavenly minded and living with an eternal perspective. So what brings joy in our suffering as believers? First of all, knowing that there is a purpose. Trials are not just there. They're not just one of the things we have to live through in life, that there's no good rhyme or reason to it. Knowing there's a purpose for our trials, knowing that a sovereign, loving Lord is growing us in the faith, making us stronger, producing steadfastness, bringing us to a place, we'll see this down in verse 12, of greater reward and blessing. And so our trials are producing and achieving God's work in us. We can trust his wisdom and power to work out his plan in us, he is in control of every detail of our lives. You know, another thought, and, and James doesn't mention this, but another thought that came to me regarding joy in our trials, I think that comes from focusing on and appreciating our blessings. Often in the middle of our trials, we forget how blessed we have been. And, and let's be real honest. As sinful, rebellious creatures... We would deserve to suffer every day of our lives. But God, in his love for us, has blessed us richly. We're not going to just continue in these trials. We're not just going to continue without any rhyme or reason or answer. But God is going to use the trials in us and through us. And he's going to bless us in the midst of that in spite of our trials and whatever the trial and suffering, we know that God is working and we know that God will help us in that and walk us through that. Look at verse 3. He's already told us to count, to think forward. Verse 3, he says, count it joy. Look at this word, knowing. Knowing that testing produces steadfastness and endurance. What is knowing? Knowing is having an understanding mind. It's being able to look at the trial, to count it, to consider it, and think about what you know. What do you know? You know who God is. You know his character. You know his faithful love. You, you've got to remember that. We can't forget that. And in knowing his character and faithful love, we know what he's doing. We know he's strengthening our faith and our usefulness, and he's preparing us for reward. It's not just about this life. And so in verse 4, knowing that, verse 4, we choose, look at this, to let steadfastness have its full effect. You know what steadfastness is? It's the same word we looked at last week. It's the same word as endurance. You remember endurance has two parts, 
under and to remain. And so he's saying as you remain under this trial, it has an effect. What is it? It develops you to maturity, and it makes sure that you have all the necessary spiritual qualities that you're lacking in nothing. You know why that happens? Because in a trial, you're driven to deeper communication and deeper communion and trust. And God is producing in you a stable, righteous character. Listen, in day-to-day life, and I I think about this all the time, in day-to-day life when there is no trial, there's no suffering, there's no circumstance I can't figure out, there's no difficulty, if I'm not careful, I will rarely day-to-day think of God. And so trials refocus and, and point my attention back so that I'm all that God has called me to be. Now, here's the rub. You're going to struggle, and in that struggle, you're going to have some questions. Even as a committed follower of Christ, you may say, well, well I want to please God, like it says here, and, I, and, and that is in having joy. I want to understand that God is doing this for my good, that he's able, and that he can can, can care for me. His sovereignty and love will see me through. I want to know he's looking out for my best interests. I, I want to be able to be submissive to what he's doing, but I need some help and understanding. I, I don't get it. I, I, I'm having a hard time looking forward and seeing the good, and that's why James addresses in verses 5 through 8 this need, and that is the need for wisdom. Not some philosophical, ethereal kind of wisdom, but practical wisdom that tells us how to get through life. Where does that wisdom come from? It comes from understanding life in view of God. If you don't have a view of God, you'll never be able to understand or comprehend life and and what God is doing in life. We've got to see it from from his work and his perspective. And when you're in a storm and when you're frightened and when you're feeling weak and your world is falling apart and you're trying to hold on and you need strength and you need to, to understand, only God's wisdom will suffice. If I ask you to think of a character in Scripture Let me make it real simple, real specific. An Old Testament character in Scripture who went through trials and needed God's wisdom, what name would come to mind for you? Job. Listen to what Job said in the midst of his trial. Job chapter 28, verse 12. Where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. The sea says, it's not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living thing, concealed even from the birds of the air. God understands the way to it. He alone knows where it dwells, for he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Job said, if you want wisdom, if you need wisdom, you look to God. So if you're in a a trial and you're struggling and, and all you feel is pain and you're trying to figure it out and you have lots of questions, where do you go for wisdom and understanding? You go to God. Look at verse 5 when he says that we're to ask God for wisdom, that that verb in verse 5 is a present active imperative verb. What does that mean? It's mandatory. It's It's a command, and it is a continual action, a continual command. God expects you, when you're in trial, to ask him for wisdom. That's the first place you should turn, and you come, and you keep coming, and trials are designed to increase your dependence on God. 
we need to be reminded that we're dependent on him. You know, we get to places in life where, you know, our marriage is fulfilling as it's ever been. Our kids are doing well. Our, we've, we've excelled in our career. We have all the things that make us happy in a great lifestyle. And we forget. You remember that God warned Israel as they were about to go into the promised land. He was going to conquer the land for them. The land was already rich. They were going to be very prosperous in this land, and he warned them, when you enter the land and you're prosperous and you have all of your needs, when you come to that point in your life in this land, you need to be careful that you don't forget me. One of the benefits of trials and difficulties is to remind us that human resources and abilities cannot solve our problem. We have nowhere to go but to God. And look what he says. He says he gives wisdom and understanding generously. It's, un- it's unconditional. It's willing. You don't have to beg and plead. He's not reluctant to do that. When you go through trials, he is more than willing to give the wisdom that you need. I thought about that as I read this week. I thought about Paul's words to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, where Paul has talked about the incredible love that God has for us. In 8.32, he says this, He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also in him give us all things? Listen, if God was willing to sacrifice the Lord Jesus in order to save you, there's nothing else he's going to hold back. He'll give the wisdom. And if you're going through a trial, you need to stop seeking the wisdom of men. You need to stop trying to figure out how you're going to solve this on your own. You've got to get into the Word of God where He can speak to you, and you've got to spend time in prayer where you're coming before Him, and the Spirit can minister to your spirit. Look at verse 6, though. God gives it generously. He doesn't reproach, or in King James it says upbraid. He doesn't lecture you. He doesn't say, well, you got yourself in this mess, but I'm going to help you anyway. No, He gives it. But there is a condition. Wisdom from God is conditional. Look at verse 6. He says you have to ask in faith. Remember last week, Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. You won't get wisdom if you're doubting God. He's not going to provide it. He doesn't talk just to hear himself talk. If you doubt his power, if you doubt his ability to supply your needs, you're not going to get wisdom. Listen, if you have true unwavering faith, if you truly believe that that God has saved you, then you know there's nothing he can't do. Don't doubt his nature and don't doubt his love as a sovereign, loving father who cares for his children. Look what he says. The one who doubts is never settled. He is tossed like the restless sea back and forth, never getting anywhere. You see that picture? You've been to the ocean before. You've seen the tide come in and go out. You see the waves and the sea is continually tossed, but it doesn't go anywhere. He says that those who live that way are double-minded they're unsettled. And, and double-minded literally means a duality of selves. It's like, I'm not saying you have spiritual multiple personality disorder, but it's like you've got two people living inside you. Two different thoughts, two different desires, and they're opposed to each other. Literally, he's saying your soul is divided between God and the world. You say you trust God, but you've got plan B ready just in case God doesn't come through. On the outside, you look fully committed, and you look like you're really devoted and following and walking with the Lord, but you're not. You're trying to do things your own way. 
Those who are truly committed trust him continually. Verses 9 through 11, I got to gotta move on here. Verses 9 through 11, it seems like he's changing the subject. Really, he's just clarifying all of us are to count it all joy, everyone in every circumstances, because trials come regardless of your position or, or, or your person. All believers are equally dependent on the Father. All believers are going to suffer through trials. All believers are going to need the wisdom of God. Trials put us all on the same level. None of us has life anymore figured out. We're all going to go through these trials. And, and he's saying here, look, the poor and the rich both have the privilege of identity with Christ. The poor man can boast in his exaltation, his high standing with God, because he's received the grace and hope of God. The rich man is reminded that genuine contentment depends not on his wealth, but on God's grace that is never ending. Everyone's going to go through trials. Look at verse 12, the final verse here in this section. He says, the man who is steadfast, who endures under trial, will receive the crown of life promised to those who love God. He's steadfast. He's remained under. He's been through the trial. He has suffered, but he has never relinquished his faith in God. And he's going to receive the crown of life. There are five heavenly crowns uh, mentioned in the New Testament that believers will receive, various rewards in heaven uh, based on how that believer lived his life. But every true believer receives a crown of life. It's for those, James says here, it's for those who love God. Who are those who love God? They're the ones who keep his commands. They're the ones who love his son. They're the ones who remain faithful no matter what. So again, if you suffer all of this life, if you were to continually go through trials, and I don't know anyone who continually goes through trials that doesn't have moments of sunshine and blessing, but if you did, when you get to heaven, you're not going to remember. You and I are going to receive, those who are faithfully following Christ, the crown of life, eternal life, with no pain, no suffering, no trial, no difficulty. And so the challenge of James in this passage to us as believers to make sure we're approaching trials properly with understanding that we know, that we count, that we look forward. That even the way we go through that trial is an incredible testimony to people around us. Let me give you four takeaways this morning from what James has told us about trials. Number one, most importantly, God is sovereign. Nothing takes him by surprise. He's not suddenly startled about the trial or the difficulty or the loss or the tragedy you're going through. He doesn't all of a sudden look up and go, whoop, what happened there? Let me take care. No, he's sovereign. He has every detail of your life in his hand, and you can trust his sovereignty. Secondly, God expects us to ask for wisdom from him. His wisdom is the only thing that is going to enable you to, to be steadfast under trial to be made perfect and complete. You, you can't do it apart from his wisdom. And can I caution you? If you hear wisdom from men, you need to take that wisdom right here and make sure the wisdom that men are sharing with you is truth from God. Only his wisdom can get us through and enable us to be steadfast. There is good in suffering. We've got to learn to be forward-thinking spiritually. We've got to look for the benefit, look for the result. Again, seeking wisdom from God, asking what he's doing. And believe that there's good and that he's going to use that. And finally, I'd say to you this morning, trials 
are part of the sanctification process. You remember, we've talked of this before, justification, the moment that you commit your life to Christ and you trust Him as Savior and Lord of life, you're justified, you're made right with God. And from the point of justification for the rest of your earthly life, the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you is working on your sanctification. You know what sanctification is? Making you more and more like Christ. Because that's the objective of our lives as believers, to become more and more like Christ. Do you know that Christ suffered? Paul says we're made like him in his suffering. That's part of the process of being more like Christ. That just as Christ suffered, we too will suffer. And that's part of the process of God growing us as believers.